Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is uh, the kickoff for our fall. That's why we have our celebration of ministries and also begin a new sermon series. And the sermon series is entitled God's Way. And you know, in the church, the fall is always about new. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that, but it's always about new. And um, the celebration of ministries is one new, but I was reminded of new last week when Tropical Storm Hermine passed by. Now, I don't know if you thought about it, but if you walked outdoors on Saturday, not Friday, but on Saturday, and you looked up, I don't know what you thought, but I thought, the sky is so pretty, and the air is so clean, and the humidity had lifted, and the green foliage looked so beautiful. And I do want to say, if you looked up, if you looked down, it was painful. (laughs) But if you looked up, it was absolutely gorgeous. And it was so refreshing and renewing. There's something about a tropical storm that just clears the air and makes it all new and fresh And it was wonderful. I mean, I realized that there was the cleanup afterwards and my back paid a price. I mean, I realized that. But it was just new. And a lot of times we like new. But sometimes new isn't always good. In fact, when I think about today, when I think about 9-11... Fifteen years ago today, much in our country, much in our world, became new and different. We don't do things the same anymore. Think about airport security. Think about a new department, the the Department of Homeland Security. I think many of us have a new appreciation for our first responders our police, our firefighters, our EMS workers. I think many of us have a renewed appreciation of people that serve in our armed forces. And I think for the first time in many, many decades, we realize that our country is vulnerable. And so it's new. It's not necessarily a good new, but it's a new We're constantly reminded of new in television ads, in internet ads, in magazine ads. I don't know how many of you take The Economist magazine. I know I've referred to it 
for many years here, but the one that came out this past week talked about Uber. And do you know Uber, in just a few years, has gone from a zero company to a company that's worth, I think I read, $70 billion. $70 billion. And Uber's talking about cars that drive themselves. I don't think I'm ready for that. I mean, I know some of you really are, and you're looking forward to it, and you're excited about it. I'm not. I like driving my own car. A lot. But one of the news that just came out a couple of weeks ago is this one entitled Cheating Death. Did anyone see this? Cheating Death. It's really, really interesting what they're talking about in this particular issue. They're talking about how immortality is going to be attainable in this world with these bodies. What do you think? Ah, I'm not so sure. Let me read to you from this first article, Cheating Death. Yet biological understanding is advancing apace. Greater longevity is within reach, even if actual immortality may not be as close or as interesting as some uh, uh, fantasists would like to believe. But what they're saying is some people actually believe that immortality in this body, in this world, is possible. I don't know what you believe about that. Let me read to you from another one, Adding Ages. This is another article. Dave Goebel, boss of the Methuselah Foundation. Anyone know who the Methuselah is? He's the oldest guy in the Bible. Does anyone remember how old he was? I think 969 years. Is that right? Bible trivia. Here we go. An aging research charity calls Longevity Escape Velocity. Don't you love that? Longevity Escape Velocity. I don't even know what that means. The point where life expectancy increases by more than a year every year. In other words, every year that we age, life expectancy increases faster. That's what it means. This, he thinks, is the way to immortality or a reasonable approximation thereof. And he believes it's attainable. A couple more quotes. Elizabeth Parrish, the boss of a biotech company called BioViva, claims she has already given herself an anti-aging gene therapy. Oh, this just goes on and on. Okay, this is new. Between gene therapy and organ transplants and replacement and the conquering of diseases, people are going to live forever in this world with these bodies. That's what people believe. I don't know what we're going to look like. That's an interesting prospect. If a little girl were born today and lived long, she would see the world of 2138. That's what they're saying. And that's not fantasy, according to this article and this author. So there's so much new. And, I mean, there's new in terms of healthy bodies and the good life. And, of course, there's always new something going on with sex. We know that, um, according to all these articles and magazines. What is it that fascinates us about new? 
Maybe because it makes us feel superior or better. Or that we know better today. And of course, you know, when it comes to new and when it comes to better, this was in the paper today, if I were president. Did you all see this? They had all these quotes about people that if I were president, what I would do better. And some of it, some of the suggestions are good. But you know what it all has to do with? This world. It all has to do with this world. It all has to do with bettering this world. Because, after all, we're all trying to seek immortality and longevity in this world because we don't think about the afterlife. It's all about this world. If we're thinking new, if we're thinking better, it's all about today, now, this life. We forget that there's so much more. And God's design is for us to live with him for eternity. So much of what is new and better is about feeling good. Because we all want to feel good. Or, many people today don't want to feel anything. Because this world is too painful. Their life is too painful. So they either want to feel good or they want to feel nothing. And so it goes back and forth between those two. And what about what we believe? Most people live into what they believe. What you believe will control how you live. And what you believe is the best life, the good life. And most people want to be affirmed in what they believe. And most people want to be affirmed in how they live. And that's what you will hear over and over again in our world today. And so we're always creating something new about beliefs. Belief in God. Belief in about how one lives and what one believes. And it's all okay. Because we all want to feel okay. And we all want to be okay. And it's all good. When in fact, if you heard the gospel reading for today, Jesus said, I am the way. And I am truth. And I am life. See, but the problem is, is that the Bible is old. And the Bible's outdated. And who can really trust and believe in that ancient way, that old way? Can we really believe that stuff? And it's such a narrow focus. God's way isn't so popular. Especially today. And to talk about Christ and Christianity, that's even more narrow and less popular. Because we'd really rather trust that all ways are okay and everybody's affirmed. 
And by the way, we can always find new ways to do things. Why would we trust what the world says? Why would we trust what others say? When the God who created us and the God who loves us and the God who sent His Son to die for us says He is the way and He is truth and He is life. And that, oh, by the way, we are all short-sighted and we're all sinners. We need a Savior and we need someone to show us this way. And Jesus is that way. You know, when I, when I write my fall sermon series, the last ten years, I've written my series when I've gone on vacation. And Meredith and I talked about it, and that's not always a good way to spend my vacation time. And so I decided this year that I was going to set a couple of days apart to get a real crack and start on my sermon series. So I did something that I did about 10 or 11 years ago. Meredith and I decided that I would set a couple days apart before my vacation. And I went to, I don't know how many of you know Scott and Margaret Richardson. Scott and Margaret Richardson have this cabin. And this cabin is just outside of Tillman, South Carolina. Does anyone know where Tillman, South Carolina is? It's a very remote place. And this particular cabin has no internet, no television, no cell phone service. And it was just me, the animals, and the bugs. Really, all I need when I go and write my sermon series and I do something like this is coffee, a little bit of food, my Bible, my guitar, a couple of books to take breaks, and I write. And it's wonderful. And I've done this on numerous occasions. But I haven't done it in about 10 or 11 years. And I thought I remembered the way to go when I went there. And I actually passed it up by about two or 300 yards. And then I remembered that I passed it up. So I turned around and I came back. And when I got on the property... It looked relatively the same, except they were building a new house. And it threw me off, because they were putting a new house up on the property. And so I went down one direction, and after about a half a mile going down this dirt road, I was in the woods, and it really did not look familiar. So I had to figure out how to turn around in the woods and I turned around, and I came back to the entrance, and then I went down another path, dirt road, and that was wrong. And so I turned around again, and I thought, you know, there's several other dirt roads. I'm going to be in trouble unless I figure out which dirt road I'm supposed to be going down. And I could end up getting stuck if I'm not careful. And so, anyway... Along comes this guy on a tractor. His name's Michael. Because I flagged him down. And I said, I'm trying to find the cabin. My name's Greg Kranz. 
And he said, yeah, the Richardsons told me you were coming out today. And I said, can you help me find it? And he said, yes, I'll be right back. And he left. (laughs) Now, why he couldn't lead me there on this tractor is beyond me. And why he had to go is beyond me. So he was about five minutes, maybe ten minutes, and I'm getting a little nervous. And so I just sat there and I said, okay, Lord, I don't know what I should do. Maybe I should go down another dirt road. I don't know. So anyway, what I decided to do was just sit there and pray. So I did. He shows up in an ATV, all-terrain vehicle, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But after he led me down this path, it was a dirt road. It took a minute, two minutes, I don't even remember. We were at the cabin. It was great. Two things. The first is Michael knew the way. And Michael led the way. Jesus knows the way. Jesus led the way. Why would we trust anyone else? When Jesus went to the cross out of love for us, He went there to die for you and I. He went there to die because He loves us so much and we needed a Savior. Why would we trust anyone else? Why would you trust people just because they're famous, just because they're successful, just because they're powerful? Who say, let me tell you how it is and how you should live. When Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am, as Jesus said, I am the way. Larry, is this mic going in and out? Okay, good. Sounds like it's going in and out. It's by the cross we know that Jesus is our way our truth, and our life. The fact that he laid down his life for us. It's by his resurrection that we know we have eternal life. Because Jesus doesn't just even care about us in this life. He wants to spend eternity with us. Why would we trust anyone else in this world to tell us how we should live? Where we should go, how we should be, when Jesus is our way. Secondly, Jesus says, I am truth. You've probably heard this word before, orthodox, and some of you may even know what it means. But orthodox is a great word for today because it means right opinion. And you know, in today's world, everybody has their own opinion and everyone wants to say everybody's opinion is just as valid as everyone else's opinion. But the word orthodox means right opinion or straight opinion, the straight truth. It's where we get the root word for orthodontic, straight teeth. You want your teeth to be right. So that they work properly. 
In a day and age when we want to believe, many people want to believe, that it doesn't matter what your opinion is because everybody's right. And the reality is everybody can't be right. It's disingenuous to say you have your truth and I have my truth. Because the different truths about God are contradictory. And the different truths about the way we live and saying it doesn't matter how you live are contradictory. It's disingenuous. They can't all be true. When Jesus says, I am the way, He wants to show us the way to the Father. He wants to show us how to live. And when He says, I am truth, it's in contrast to what the world says. That so often is false about God. That so often is false about how to live. I was working out a few months ago and I was visiting with a, a couple who are, who are here this morning and after they left there was a woman working out in the same place where we were working out, the same gym and she overheard us talking and she said are you a pastor? and I said yeah I'm a pastor and she said I want to tell you the truth about who Jesus is I found that really interesting. But I said, really? And she said, she said, yeah, my pastor from Columbia, Columbia, not South Carolina, Columbia, South America, told us that there are many interpretations of the Bible and you can't trust them all. But she said that Jesus is really a woman. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, Jesus is really a woman. Let me tell you how that works. Because God the Father, see, everything comes from a man and a woman. God the Father gave birth to everything that is. And so Jesus had to be a woman to give birth to everything that is. Because everything you know comes from a man and a woman. And there is no Holy Spirit. And Jesus didn't really have to go to a cross because we're not really bad. And he didn't really need to die for our sin. And... She's going on and on, and I'm listening incredulously. But I let her go for a while, about five or ten minutes. And she finally took a breath. And I just looked at her, and, you know, most of you know me that I really don't like to confront people. And so I said in my most gentle and and pastoral voice, you're deceived. And she said, no, it's true. And I said, there may be different interpretations of the Bible. But if you go back to the Greek, which is the original language of the Bible, when it says that God so loved the world, the Greek for the word son cannot be daughter. And then I started quoting some other verses that talks about son. And then I started talking about the need for Jesus to die, and the scriptures about that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. After about five or ten minutes, 
She smiled and said, thank you, and left. <laughs> I invited her to our church, by the way. I said, really, if you really want to get together and talk more about this, I'd love to sit down with you with a Bible in hand. And I'd love for you to come to my church. She hasn't been yet. Um, and, and, and so about 10 or 15 minutes later, she came back. And she had a tract in her hand from her pastor. And she said, read this. Which I did. And eventually threw out. But I said to her the next time I saw her, I said, I'd, I'd love to sit down and talk with you again about what you gave me and about what the Bible says. And she always smiles. And when I go in to get changed, she always leaves. Because she's not equipped. She believes what the pastor has said to her. And that's her truth. What you believe will affect how you live. And so many people want to hold on to their beliefs. Whether it's true or not. And she recognized enough to know that not all truths can possibly be true. See, when we say, you have your truth, I have my truth, and they can both be true, it's not reality. And what you believe is going to affect how you live. That's the truth. And that's why when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it's critical to understand why he put those together. And Jesus goes on to say, those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, the whole of your being, your mind, your heart, your soul. And in truth, it has to be in reality. It has to hold together. He goes on to say with his apostles in the upper room, as he's talking about the Holy Spirit, this is in John 16. And when he comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world wrong about sin. See, there is right and wrong. There is truth and falsehood. And righteousness and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me. That's the key. What you believe will determine how you live. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Right there you have the Trinity. Jesus is speaking. He's referring to the Holy Spirit and he's talking about the Father. About judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me because He will take what is Mine and declare to you all that the Father has is Mine. For this reason I said He will take what is Mine and declare to you the Word of God. That is where the truth is found. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the life. 
Jesus wants to lead us in the way he wants us to follow him in truth and life. Everybody today wants to talk about the good life, the best life, the life you should lead. And Jesus really is the life. Why is it we listen to entertainers and athletes and people in government that want to tell us how to live? Because they're famous? Because they're successful? Because they really love you? Because they'd lay down their life for you? Because they say they believe in God? We have to be discerning today. Because not all that is new, particularly when it comes to talking about issues of faith, is going to be helpful for growing in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and living out our Christian faith. I want you to think just for a moment. If someone says they believe in God, And they do what fulfills them. And they do what makes them happy. Does that make them a good person? Because that's what the world will tell you. And let me tell you one person that I just described. Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden believes in God. He did what fulfilled him, and he did what made him happy. And that's how we ended up with 9-11. There's more than just believing in God. It's trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. It's knowing him to be your way, your truth, and your life. Because there's a lot of people out there that want to show you their way. That want to tell you their truth. That want to defend their life or their lifestyle to you. That have nothing to do with what it means to follow Christ. To be a Christian. But that's the call on our lives. And you really understand when you understand the depth of his love for you. That Jesus went to the cross so that you would understand. God so loved the world. It comes out of his compassion. It comes out of his care. And he sent his son because he wants you to know. Not to play games or hide. He wants you to know. You know, when I was on vacation with Meredith, we were at this place that we've stayed the last 10 years, and we saw these wonderful sunsets. And they're just different than they are here. And they're beautiful. But I love the sunsets here as well, but my mind started to go in this direction. When I saw a sunset in the mountains, I thought, it's really, really beautiful. 
And I see the sunset here at the ocean or at our house, and it's really, really beautiful in a different way. But in every case, it's blocked by the horizon. My view is blocked by the horizon. Whether it's the mountains, or whether it's the woods, or whether it's the ocean, my view is blocked by the horizon. And God sees everything. I am limited in my sight, but God sees everything. We as humans are short-sighted. We're limited. We're fallible. And we sin. That's why God sent Jesus. And God loves us. And He wants us to know Jesus as our way and our truth and our life. And that's what this series is going to be about. But my prayer for you is that today, that you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, today, you decide to make Him your way, your truth, and your life. And live every day as if He is. Because His design is for you to spend eternity with Him. Not just for this world. Not as if this body goes on forever, because it doesn't. But to spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. Lord God, so often today people are living for this world and feeling good. There's not as much talk about character or holiness or eternity. And Lord, you long that we would know you and walk with you every day of our life that we would grow in the knowledge and love of you and be transformed into the person, into the character of Jesus Christ. To seek to be your people, a holy people set apart, to bear your fruit. Lord, help us to know Jesus as our way and our truth and our life. Help us to be true worshipers in spirit and in truth. And help us to, to see beyond this life that you seek to spend eternity with us. And that's why you sent your Son to die on a cross in our place for our sin. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. For the gift of eternal life. Fill us with your spirit this day that we would seek you, our way, our truth, and our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.